0: Welcome to the new Nature Photographer podcast from Nampa. Today we have Charles Glatzer joining us as well as Mark Graycroft and Mike Morrow from Wild and Exposed, our partners that are bringing you this podcast today. So let's get started and talk about what everybody's been up to. I know it's right now it's you know we're still in the middle of COVID lockdowns and restrictions and so but i know it sounds like all of us have still been getting out to do some shooting so what have you guys been up to
1: just trying to play with the new equipment every day seems to be like christmas right now it's pretty cool for me i get the the brown santa you know the ups truck or fedex truck delivering packages and uh r6s and r5s and 100 to 500s and all kinds of little toys and filters from uh, another company and so I'm trying to get as familiar as I can with this stuff. So eventually when we do get back out in the field, I know somewhat of what I'm doing. Um, but it's, you know, we're we're in Western North Carolina. So we got millions of acres of uh, of forest, state and national, um, but not a lot of wildlife congregated in one area. So it's difficult. You know, I can't just run out there and say, OK, you know, let me go photograph birds flying or let's look for the, you know, the one black bear within the, the one million acres that happens to pop out along the road. You know, I mean. There's a couple of places I know where people are doing what they're not supposed to be doing, you know, attracting the the wildlife. But I'm not sure that's a good thing for me to, you know, be a part of.
0: No, we don't want to see that. No. Colors must
1: be
2: starting. Through. Oh, right there. Have the colors started at all? I mean, sure, you're convincing me when I look at you on on Skype here with your backdrop.
1: Yeah, the the backdrop was from uh, last year, about the middle of October to end of October is is usually peak up here. And it depends, you know, if you go up to the top of the parkway at 6,000 feet, of course, it's going to be sooner. And then uh, so we go up and then work our way down. you know. But we went out to a place called uh, Max Patch last night to just match patch last night to to check it out. And uh, the weather just wasn't conducive to doing, you know, golden hour pictures. And, uh, but it was good to get out, hike up the mountain with all the gear, you know, test out the little video stuff and all that kind of kind of stuff. And, um, you know, getting out there, you know, too much sitting around the house it's uh it's tough these days
0: so we really have quite a, a variety of locations here we've got Chaz out in the east coast we've got mark up in canada we've got mike in alaska in anchorage i'm out here in colorado so what are you seeing up in alaska mike
2: don't let him start <laughs> skip for everybody's <laughs> benefit skip michael
1: stop Crush showing it. us those photographs
3: yeah it's pretty uh, non-stop up here it's uh You know, there's no better place this time of year than, I don't know, maybe you guys think differently, but I can't imagine another place other than Alaska for the fall. Or what, late August through September, it's just amazing. I was up in Denali last week. The fall colors are already, actually not last week, a couple days ago. Fall's come and gone there already. It was all kind of brown already. Some reds, just a little bit of yellow, a little bit of red, but most of the really vibrant reds that you get up there that everybody is so famous for, that was all passed. A little bit of wildlife, and then you come back to Anchorage where it's not quite fall yet. I look out the window, and I got a little fall color on this tree next to me. But in the town of Anchorage, it's still pretty green. But you get up higher in the elevations, what, a couple thousand feet? And fall is in full swing up there. So that's what I've been doing is finding some moose. And uh, in the places where I shoot moose, there's tons of wildlife. There's bear, I see bears every day. I see doll sheep every day. Um, but the moose are the most fruitful at the moment, just because of the rut. And,
1: Did I ever tell you that Chugash on. story?
3: No, but uh, we should talk about that. What do you got?
1: Well, no, we shouldn't really. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm in I'm in Chugash, right? and uh, there's two moose, two big bulls, and they're they're kind of you know doing their sparring thing, and I'm back far enough. But if you've been there, you know it's really flat, not a lot of places to hide. So I'm photographing, and typically I'm really cognizant of what's going on behavior-wise. You know, no head going down. The ears aren't flattened. They're just paying attention to each other. So I look at my camera settings and I look back up and this thing just picks its head up, comes at me like a freight train. There's like no prelude or anything. So I'm going, oh, not good. So I don't want to like turn my back to it. So I start backing up. My foot gets stuck in a willow. I trip, fall. Camera hits me in the sternum, completely knocks the wind out of me. And I look up and he's coming. So I tell everybody I curled up in a fecal. I mean fetal position. Right? <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> laying there, and I'm like, I'm going to get stomped. I know I'm going to get stomped. And I didn't. He stopped probably 15 feet away, and you know I didn't move, and he just walked off. So the better part is, the next morning, back when it was the Millennium Hotel in Anchorage, I'm having breakfast, and some guy says, hey, Chaz, did you see the guy get charged by the moose yesterday? Or <laughs> <did you-?" laughs> so I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I hope it doesn't end up on YouTube. <laughs> you
3: gotta be careful it's a heavy experience it is and they are so they're you watch them walk around and they're just pretty they're not come you know they're they could get around all they want but they're very slow and methodical about how they do things unless they're fighting or you know the ruts in full swing but if you see i saw a moose it was really windy here a couple days ago and that always has these animals on edge a little bit right and we saw a couple cows running they can flat cover some ground in no time. If they, if they want to, if they want to make, cover some distance. So I am always, whenever you get around a couple of bulls, when they start wagging their heads back and forth, you definitely got to be on your toes and, and have a safety zone. And, you know, Denali national park has a 25 yard uh, distance from anything other than a, a bear. I'm not sure what it is up in Chugach, but I would assume the same thing. I wouldn't nah, assume I was, that. Uh,
1: I, was, I was a little more than that, but I mean. Yeah,
3: but, but even, no. even so, I'm just saying, if it's 25 yards and you're being totally legal, that's nothing for a moose to cover in milliseconds and, yeah. you know, basically get in the fecal position.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like I you said. I mean, the more stuff. we know about animal behavior, right, you know, it equates to better imagery as well. But, but we look for those, you know, those little kind of signs, those escalating signs of consequences and anxiety. And I'm always watching it, always. You know, like we talked about, the head dropped, you know, and with bears it's the jaw popping, the salivating. And, you know, what you don't want to see is that head start shake back and forth and lower its head and then start going, mumma mumma, You know, that's <laughs> not a good thing. That's not you know, a good thing. They could do it with another bull just as long as they're not doing it towards you, right? Yeah, but they were paying no attention to me until I, I looked like I started to, you know, I don't know. I don't know what. I think he said I can't mess with this guy anymore. But what the hell? That looks like fair game, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just know, know a lot of case. times
3: up there, where we shoot these moose, they can't. There can be another bull come out of nowhere behind you, and you don't even know it. And then you right. don't. You think that that bull's looking at you, and in fact, there's another bull right there. And so you, your, your head needs to be on a swivel. You just need yeah. to be cognizant so sort of, of what's myopic. going on. I
1: mean, I've had him walk ten feet from me. Yeah. You know, in the woods, all of a sudden I hear a branch snap. I stop, freeze, turn around. And as long as you don't move, that dude just walks right past you. Yeah. You know, it's almost like they're myopic and they can't see very well. But, um, yeah, when they, can, they can move when they need to.
3: You know, the, the thing about this spot where we go is there's a lot of hikers that go through there. So these moose are pretty used to people. So I think you're right. You can have them walk really close and it's not a big deal. I'm actually more cognizant of these cows than I am the bulls. The bulls seem really chill. Unless they're really in the rut and it's really going... I don't worry about the bulls. It's those cows that get a little cagey. And actually, just this morning, there was a couple of little bulls. And they were doing their little sparring thing. I mean, they, I'm talking like little crab Spikes claws. Them. Yeah, just little itty bitty. But they were flat making each other a little pissed off. And and they, I wouldn't have got close to those guys for sure. Because they, yeah. they looked like they were coming for whatever got close.
1: Yeah, you know? I had another. I had experience with a cow in the woods. Yeah, it was, we, we were doing a gig with a group. You know, and I said, look, you know, I see the cow down at the, the the pond edge. Let me just go through the woods down the trail, go to the pond, make sure everything's okay before I bring you guys down there. So I walk down to the, the woods. It's fine. I step into the grass near the pond. It's all good till the calf pops up like 15 feet behind me. Right? And then the calf pops up and the mom looks at me and like, here we go again. <laughs> so... So here comes the cow, and it starts chasing me through the woods. So I just threw my cameras in the bushes. I zigzagged through the trees. She stopped, and I came to the edge of the road. And the group was just hysterical. They were dying. They were like, could you do it again? We had too slow shutter speed, you know. (laughs) I'm like, I'll pass. Thank you. You know, if you're out there enough, I mean, you put yourself, you know, as safety conscious as we are, you know, you have to be even more so. You know, you just have to be careful. You're in their world.
0: Like you said, you really have to watch your back a little bit and just be aware, keep yeah. all your senses in tune, listen, smell can be can be big too, especially during the run.
1: Yep, and I think it's just like Michael said, though, you 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 know, you learn when you're out in the woods to be cognizant of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have a, a Navy SEAL friend and he's like, it's the five S's. It's um, sight, smell, shimmer, silhouette, right? And... Sight, smell, shimmer, silhouette. I forgot the other one. I was going to be mad. But anyway, you got to think of those all the time. You know, when you're watching for all of it, um, it's true. You know, it's seriously true.
3: I was out photographing with uh, Drew Hamilton this morning. He was out with me, and, you know, he's a bear guide up here. And so it's fun to talk with him about some of these bear stories. And he has a bear that he sees a lot when he's out in Katmai, and he named it Sneaky. Cause he'll be, he'll have a row of people that he's guiding and they'll all be shooting some bear. And he's like, all of a sudden sneaky, will be at the end of the line, <laughs> just like one of the photographers. He's like, I gotta keep my eyes on this bear cause she'll show up and just, she's not going to do anything. She just shows up and she's right there and right in the middle of You're everything. Smart.
1: So we're, we're in Jasper, we're photographing, um, elk, right. In the rut. So of course, you know, being real careful, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's a herd, you know, a little small, like, you know, cows on one side, this big bull on the other. And I said to the group, okay, we're going to walk slowly just along the edge of the woods, you know, and if he picks his head up and stops, you know, looks at us, and then we stop, move in, but still not too close, you know, maintaining proper distances. So there's this younger bull, and he's trying to sneak into our group to get to the other big bull and the gals. So three times we had to shoo him away. So he definitely knew what he was doing. He was using us as cover to get closer to the other, you know, the little harem there. I was like, yeah, little wise guy. It was awesome. A little sneak. It's
3: amazing yeah. how smart all this wildlife is. I don't think we give yeah. him near enough credit.
1: Yeah. So, Mark, tell us some stories. You must have some encounters.
2: I have lots of stories. I don't know if I want to put some of them out there like you're doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well.
2: It's been quiet this year. It, I, the stories are coming soon, but... Colors are just just hinting at beginning here in early September. And so I've been doing a little bit of velvet shedding behavior between moose and whitetails. Stumbled on a few turkeys today in a different setting and took some pictures of them, but it's not until the end of next week that I ramp up and start traveling for this fall. And of course it's all compromised this year, so it's pick and choose what's possible. So I'm gonna head out to the Rockies for two or three weeks it's up in the air depending on how productive it is yeah and then see from there but it's certainly three quarters of my traveling has been curtailed for now
1: sure
2: and it's unknown I mean we just we keep thinking well two months from now it's going to be possible and here we are still in the situation It's uh, do the legislation right what we can and cannot do so it's it's been uh, definitely a challenging year but uh, as yeah. far as I've got, I've got stories I could tell from the past, like those for sure.
1: Well, I got a bunch more, but I don't know how many no I doubt. should. No, doubt. people are like, yeah, I don't want to go with that guy. You know, <laughs> but I've never put, I never put a group in jeopardy or had any situations. I was in the Galapagos one time, and uh, we were we were scuba diving and photographing underwater and everything. And uh, I get down there and I physically, I'm getting attacked by a big giant bull sea lion. I mean, he's coming at me full. Whoa! underwater blowing bubbles i'm hitting them in the face with the camera i'm backing up finally it leaves you know and i'm like hyperventilating i get back in the zodiac and the guy says you okay i go no man i go i just (laughs) got attacked by this big sea line he goes oh yeah there's a really aggressive one down there so i'm I'm like you know that's like need to know information before i get in the water (laughs) it's like wow just crazy crazy that was that was that was harrowing that was just scary
2: yeah, well, we're telling too many scary stories. We there's a for every scary well, you gotta, story. you gotta be
1: safe, man. You gotta you
2: know. Well, yeah, we've got I've got 50 great stories for every scary one. But the other thing too is you know saying that we're in their world. I like to take it a step further, and I like to know enough about their world that it's my world too. I like to feel in tune with them. But I, but from that perspective that we're in their world, there's always that requirement for respect.
1: But it takes uh, time in the field. You don't just pop in there and you're in their world. Oh. No, it's You all can about read up on behavior. whatever you want, but until you're in That's, that, you know... Yeah. To me,
2: the images are almost, I can't say they're secondary, but I get the biggest thrill of just being in the wild with wild animals and being able to properly interpretate what they're doing, yep. where they are, recognizing their different personalities, and then the photography is a, is a tool to allow me to be there to facilitate that, to create content that hopefully people will find worthy.
1: Yeah, Exactly. I think you yeah. nailed it, yeah. yeah.
2: But and but the I, scariest
1: I thing, you guys are married, right? No. Mike, uh-huh.
2: Don, Mike Don and I, no. Oh,
1: <laughs> no. I'm not married. <laughs> ah, see, so you
2: really don't know what it is to be. I'm kidding. married. <laughs> I'm married. I, th- I thought you meant to them. No, I'm, I'm married. No. no, yes. no. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: I'm just yeah, you we, guys we, know we we what it for means. Years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Don, what what have you been up to? What are you? You were were you scuba diving in Rocky Mountain National Park this morning?
0: It looks like winter out here right now, and I think it's, I think it's still summer. Um, yeah, we had about, I don't know, about four or five inches of fresh snow. Uh, it snowed most of the day yesterday. I had a fun drive back from Wyoming. We were up in Grand Teton this weekend photographing moose up there, and um, moose, some bears, and uh, came back this morning, went out looking for elk and snow, and they decided to go just lay down in the snow and enjoy the cold temps, I guess. They were pretty pretty chill for some reason. But, um, yeah, elk going pretty good right now in, in Rocky. It's kind of ramping up. Um, but, yeah, it's been good, been really good in the park.
2: Any color? Can you get snow with the color right now?
1: That's There's
0: a magical. little bit of color popping in, but the prediction now is that because the temperatures will be cold below freezing for a couple of days is so that i will probably just kill the leaves. They're there Actually, the predictions are that it will be a – lackluster very lackluster fall season here in Colorado unfortunately. Didn't you guys go from like 85 to 35 overnight? It was 90 degrees on Saturday. (laughs) It was 90 degrees on Saturday. They were having record breaking temperatures and and now we're having record breaking temperatures in the other direction. So that
1: movie day after tomorrow or something. Dennis Quaid remember
0: I have to wonder if that's what the elk were thinking this morning. I mean, they were just, like, dumbfounding, you know, kind of like the day that the park opened up after, after being shut down because of the, the pandemic, you know, they all had this, like, look on their, their face, like, why are you back? It's been so quiet. And they kind of had that same look again this morning, like, why is it snowing? And you know, we, we had, had a conversation so-
1: recently just about that, that kind of what you were just talking about, you know, where, so these animals have, for first time in a really long time, haven't had the human presence harassing them all day, right? You know, except Yellowstone, there's still 42 billion people going there. But I mean, for a lot of places, there's been far less human intervention, you know, and you wonder how that is, is playing upon the natural behavior with the wildlife.
0: So we've seen there's definitely been an uptick in mice and small mammals here in Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park. There's also been a increase in bird nests. There's been a lot lot more birds this year. Huh. Um, So it definitely had some sort of impact. And that was all, you know, that was nesting season. That was denning season. Um, You know, the the spring here in Colorado, actually, you know, it started out pretty wet and then it pretty, it dried up pretty, pretty. I think the last good snowstorm was in late March, early April, and then it's been dry all summer, which is now why we're dealing with wildfires on top of everything else. So yeah, it's scary. yeah, are it's kind of crazy this summer. i have been
2: super concerning for Colorado. Has this change in weather and the snow precipitation helped significantly reduce those? Do you know?
0: So what they're, the fire that I've, there's four fires, four fairly large fires in Colorado. Um, two of them are pretty much contained at about 80, 90%. The one that I've been keeping an eye on is the Cameron Peak Fire, which is in Kind of the North Park area. Um, it's just north of Rocky Mountain National Park. It has breached into the park boundaries on the north side, um, but that one is now the fourth largest fire in Colorado. And the anticipation was that a couple of days of high humidity, cold temperatures, and the moisture will help. Um, it won't stop the fire, but it will definitely park it. Is the term that I've been hearing them use about you know just it'll get it to slow down pretty significantly so that the firefighters can kind of regroup around it again.
3: I guess the issue in Rocky Mountain National Park would be if it got into the borders they're not going to put it out right they're just going to let it be whatever it is and there's so much beetle kill up there that it would just go bananas right?
0: And that's been the problem the beetle kill has just been that whole area so along um, the Poudre Canyon uh, Highway 14 if you know anybody that's familiar with that area there's a ton of beetle kill up there it's also extremely steep terrain so the firefighters the, the wildland fighters had a really tough time of making a perimeter around it because there was just no access to it. It's a lot of wilderness, a lot of steep steep mountains. So on the north side, it's hit tundra, so it's not really expanding any further that direction. Um, On the south side, there's a ton of beetle kill, so it did reach into the park a little bit um last i heard my understanding is that the park will actually fight it from that direction because it could do a couple of different things from there it could hit the big thompson watershed um it could hit it's already hit the Poudre river watershed and it could hit um like trail ridge road and the alpine visitor center if it kept going that way but there's tundra between the fire and and those structures so um the the last thing I saw was that they actually are planning on doing some some stopping of it so that it doesn't keep spreading because of all the fuel that's out there on him.
2: I think that it's, stems all the way to Alaska now. I'm I mean, Alberta is just the amount of pine beetle damage throughout the Rocky Mountains in Alberta, and I've seen it stretching in Alaska. I mean it's a it's a whole concern all along the west coast of North America that at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just you know the plumes that have been going, you can see them here from Estes Park. Um, it, you know, as the crow flies, it's only about 20, 30 miles from here. Um, you know, it's kind of scary when you start looking at a map and you see the spread of the fire and you start seeing Estes Park creeping into the same map that you're looking at. It's a little, little freaky, but, you know, that's that's living in the mountains. You kind of accept that there's those challenges. I mean, and, you know, fire is one of those things. It, it's hard to see. You know, most of us won't see it in our lifetime Reju- rejuvenate again but you know it does rejuvenate the, that whole landscape it'll bring back healthy trees it'll bring back all kinds of you know new growth on the on the forest floor it's it needs it i mean there because there were so many dead trees up there it's just it's just really tough to see um there was an interesting one of the um firefighters up there caught a photo of on one of the roads where it's burned along the road there was a um he caught a cow moose walking down the road so they're still there the moose are still in the area. I'm sure the other animals that live up that way are still there. But it's an interesting photo, you know, that that juxtaposition of, you know, burnt trees and you know, burnt mm-hmm. food basically for them now with a animal out there still still mm-hmm. trying to survive. So
1: it's been pretty well, cool well. for us to 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 go to Yellowstone when they had the fires in 88, you know, and then to to go all these years and see like, you know, how things have grown and progressed and the differentiation in the the way that the animals, you know, Move from one area to the other. You know, we had all the snowshoe hair tracks everywhere, you know, because the understory was basically kind of right down to the ground, right? And they could hide and, and come back out. So now that that's growing up and it's becoming, you know, not as dense underneath, you don't see those tracks anymore. They've moved to another area. So now you can get the little critters to go in there and predate on them. So everything is changing. The rodents have come back, you know. So you got the wolves on one part, but then you got the whole, you know, reforestation all coming back as well. And, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. And I think that's one of the places where they have been able to really observe it, you know, over the last 20, 30 years.
3: Yeah. It's probably the best example right there is, you know, cause it's so undisturbed and you just study it how it's going to be. Right.
0: Yeah. Animals have, you know, they do, they have a sense, you know, we think that, you know, I know this is kind of my own personal opinion, but I feel like we get too involved in changing things and thinking we need to manage things sometimes. And sometimes, you know, the animals do a pretty good job of figuring out how to how to survive and navigate around some of these things and find food. And if the food's not here, I'll just go someplace else. So
1: we look at everything short term, you know. We so we look, we think 30 years is a long time, right? Right. Well, look at what happened in 30 years. But in the big scope of things, it's nothing. That's yeah, a blip. It's seriously, nothing. Yeah, right. I mean, the biggest problem except now is in camera technology, owned... Chaz. Yeah, well, except yeah.
2: in camera technology,
1: leaps and bounds. Now, I don't even know where it's going to be in, in a few years. That's a good segue. Move on. But yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. In
2: the last three years, let's say. Time yeah. Plan, yeah. We should talk a
3: little bit about that technology.
1: Yeah, so everything so everything's going from DSLR to mirrorless now, right? Um, it just seems the way of the future. And I kind of equate it to a train leaving the station. So you can choose where to get on the train, but it's not coming back. It's going one direction, you know, and that's ahead. So I think that's exactly what's happening. You know, embrace the technology. Uh, I know Canon's not putting, you know, a lot of effort into making EF glass anymore you know, unless people really want something specifically, all the technology is going into RF, new glass. And I just saw a rumor site today, I have no secondhand knowledge of it, but they're talking about a, a 14 to 21, 1.4 zoom, right? So that was impossible, you know, with the EF mount. But now because they changed it all, now you're, I mean, I, I'm gonna sell mine tomorrow. I'm gonna sell my 14 to 24 F4, then I'm gonna sit and wait for that. So if you do any kind of night photography, I mean to have a, a super wide like that at 1.4, that's going to be a gift, you know. So, it's also going to be probably heavy as a as a brick, you know. <laughs> so, you're going to hike one lens up the mountain. But um, yeah, it's different. You know, it's really pretty cool. High ISOs now with low noise and more megapixels. I think they said there's a 90 megapixel camera on the horizon now. You know, uh, uh, an oh EOS, God. yeah, R5s or something like that. You know, so yeah it's another world you know so it's if crazy. you
3: if you well with the rf technology changing the current offerings are pretty much just the standard stuff right it's a 100 to 500 it's the 24 to 105 what do they probably have a 24 to 70 i don't right. even know what right. they yeah, all they, are
1: the trinity yeah
3: do you think they'll actually go into the primes too in the rf series i mean they've got to right
1: yeah they do i i, I mean it's definitely got to go that way you know it, it it does i think what they're trying to do is get the lenses out that they feel people will like most and to answer your question like i would have preferred a two to six hundred right but they came out with a one the 500 you know and seven one instead of you know five six and that kind of stuff but most people now it seems who are buying this equipment are looking for things that are lighter more compact to travel with greater restrictions that we have right so i think that was the better compromise for most people for for the, those who do this professionally, like you and I, I I think we want yeah you know we want the wider apertures. We'll sacrifice you know it's like the two to four, you know yeah you can get it, right? It's not going to be twenty six ninety nine. It's going to be eleven thousand dollars, you know. But it's two to four hundred with a built in one four, and so now we got you know two to five sixty at at five six. So yeah, it's available, and I do think they're going to come out with that, you know. But for right now, I think you know with the R six. 20 megapixels, right? I mean, it's phenomenal. If you can shoot 6400 ISO and seriously not even worry about noise, it's it's unbelievable. So that 20 megapixels is like the sweet spot. So you're at at 400 millimeters, you got the one to four, which was five six. So now we have a one to five, which at 400 millimeters is 6.3, a third of a stop. I mean, I'm not gonna you know lose any sleep over a third of a stop, right? I'll take that extra 100 millimeters. And the lens is tack sharp with six stop IS. And I'll tell you this, I shot it in my house. It's before the firmware upgrade that came out today. So I handheld at 500 millimeters on the R5 at a 13th of a second, and it was razor sharp. Now, in truth, not every picture I shot was razor sharp, right? But at a 40th, like 90% of them were tack. Now that's assuming what I'm photographing wildlife wise is dead, right? And it's not gonna move. <laughs> but but you know, and you didn't hype up the mountain and you're not hyperventilating, you know, or out of breath or have buck fever from, you know, shaking or whatever else it is. But under ideal circumstances, that was never available before. So so it's 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 all just different technologies, you know, and, and pushing it. I do think that it's going to level the playing field a lot. So you have mirrorless now, where you're looking through the actual EVF in real time with a live histogram, and what you see is basically what you get. Might not be exact, but it's pretty darn close to it, right? So no more of like, oh my gosh, how do I meter? Do I use spot evaluative? Ah, it's backlit. What do I do, right? So we have instant, you know, um, acknowledgement looking through the viewfinder. Hey, this is what I think is a good exposure. So that's that's huge for us, you know.
3: Well, my big concern was that they wouldn't, because there is such a popularity in these, I guess, convenient lenses, I'll call it, 100 to 500, or whatever. I mean, it's like you said, they're pretty darn good. And I know plenty of people that have it and they love it, but I'm so stuck on the F4, F5, 6 that I don't want that and I'll wait for it. And the, the EF lenses, that's the other cool thing about what they've got going on is I've not used, I have one RF lens. And it's just a short, a small 24 to 105. But my 200 to 400 or my 100 to 400 EF on this R series has been fine. I can't tell focus wise, everything. It just seems to be great. Now, at, how about this? So I shoot a lot of video, right? If I use the EF lenses, I have the adapter that has the drop in filter. So I have the ND filter, I have a clear filter, and you could go buy a polarizer if you want. The one reason I don't want to go to an RF lens is because with video, it's sweet to be able to drop in that filter and just have neutral density, boom, right there. Or if I want to switch it out, way faster than screwing a filter on the end of the, of the camera. So to me, it's like I have no reason to go get an RF lens because I like the video portion
1: of it. I totally agree. I totally agree. And if you check out um, its breakthrough photography, right, they just came out with a whole line of drop-in filters for the Canon drop-in holder. So they have ND filters, polarizers, clear filters, and a question that I was asking back and forth, since the adapters don't have glass in them, right, the one with the control ring and the regular adapter, why do I have to have a glass filter in the one that takes the drop-ins, right? Why is that necessary? So I just got off the phone with Graham, who kind of runs the company for Breakthrough Photography, and he said that... They actually measured it with, you know, uh, devices, and they found out that it's one millimeter different in the distance from the sensor than the other two adapters are. So that for some reason that glass filter comes into play. Oh, so you do need it. So, so you do need it, yeah. Because I had them design a custom plug for me, and I said, hey, could you just make a plug if I don't want to put a filter in, put the plug in just so I don't get dust and, you know, and water and stuff. So they they did one on a 3D, uh, you know, um, just a program for me, yeah. And, uh, so it works, it works really well, but, you know, I have to see if I'm shooting wide open, if there's an optical difference, I don't know if I'll see it, if we stop down enough, you know, but I think like you, I agree hundred percent. I don't want to shoot everything at, at F10. If I put a 1.4 converter on there, it's just not what I want to do. I don't want everything in focus. Right. So it's the same, it's the same reason, you know, I want that faster glass, but I think it'll come. You know, I think they're going to come out with a 3028 RF, and you know they haven't made a 500 um, series 3 EF, right? So I would assume, okay, down the road, boom, that's going to pop out with an RF. You know, it'll be there. It has to be there. You know, they have to come to the market. And if you look at the other manufacturers, you know, what held them back from really going into sports and going into wildlife was the fact that they didn't have that big glass, right? So now they do. Now they came out with a 600 F4, and they came out with a, you know, 4028. Right. So, you know, the playing field is becoming a little bit more even. Um, It's interesting times. It is interesting, you know, and like you said, there's there's some reasons where I'm not in a big hurry and I don't have to get rid of my EF lenses because the compatibility is flawless with the new bodies. You just use the adapters and they're flawless, you know.
3: Well, yeah, I have, I've not noticed anything, but I think what you said earlier before we actually started recording on the podcast, what did you say? It doesn't really matter what the technology is all about at the moment, because any picture you took two years ago is just as good as any picture you're going to take tomorrow with the new camera.
1: Yeah, right. So it's, it's, you know that, I mean, if once you really know what you're doing, it's not the gear that's going to make the biggest difference, right? You know? It's going to be spending time in the field and understanding animal behavior, you know, and the little nuances and looking for the small details. That's what it's all about. This, when you get to a certain level, the newer technology will help. It's like golf. So if you go out and you buy the best pink clubs available, but you still don't know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> you just spent a lot of money, right? Right, right? It's still not going to really increase your game, you right. know, and it's all nice for people to say, hey, I want the latest, greatest, you know, and, and, you know, it does what, so the big advantage is not just being able to see what we what we get through the viewfinder, but it's the availability now of not having to change autofocus points in the viewfinder, where it's going to physically track the subject on its own, right? Right. So now you don't have to be as adept as okay focusing and you know moving the joystick or control knobs or you know whatever you're doing to, to shift focus points around the viewfinder, right? It's it's a big deal.
3: I was telling Don and Mark before we got you on Skype. Um, the biggest complaint I have about the camera is nothing to do with the camera. It's the file sizes. When you're dealing with a 4K file, and I have the most up-to-date laptop you can get, I can't play the 4K footage. Yeah. Now, I've dealt with that all along because even shooting red, it's the same thing. So you have to make the proxies and you have to do that. But I guess it's, it's a detriment because you got to go out and spend more money, right, to get the latest computer to actually do it. But in reality, you still got a way better... File to work with, and I started shooting everything in C Log, and that's the reason I want to actually play this footage because when you're making color adjustments, you just want to make sure it's good throughout. And I can't do it quite yet, so we'll have yeah. to see how that progresses. But it's going to cause me to spend a little bit more money.
1: Well, just like going out buying CF Express cards, right? No, oh, that so too. I get these Little little packages that are like I might as well have bought a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, four little cards come in there at two fifty six each, and you're in for a few thousand bucks. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh. And then you need bigger hard drives and faster computers and yada, yada, yada. You know, and you're doing 4K at 120. We're playing with 8K, you know. So, I mean, yikes.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. And I haven't even shot 8K yet on the camera. I was like, I just don't know why. I'm shooting 4K high quality, and that's pretty much my go-to. And it's it's working great, and it looks great. I have to say, it's the color. I, I edited something the other day for a little project for Drew Hamilton for that um, no pebble mine stuff. And I was mixing red footage with the the R five footage. The R five footage looks so much better. Now I'm doing stuff for YouTube, I'm doing stuff for the common consumer. I'm not doing stuff for planet Earth. Uh it'd be interesting to see if BBC, Nat Geo accept this footage out of this little camera. I was shooting with a guy today. The BBC's up here shooting the thing on moose, and he's running the red with, and I didn't even see what's red, but I'm assuming it's the 8K red, 50 to 1,000 Canon lens. I mean, that's what they're expecting. I don't know if I could roll in with my little 100, or my what, 100 to 400 with an adapter on an R5. I mean, such a juxtaposition between those two cameras, but... I guarantee you my footage is going to be sharper throughout just because I'm not on manual focus, constantly chasing that focus with wherever the animals are going. The camera's doing it for me. I can focus right, on the composition.
1: Right, that's the other thing, man. That dual pixel autofocus for video, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And it does really well. You tap on the back of the camera on that animal's head and it tracks that puppy all across the screen. Yeah. It does a phenomenal job with that. And even if we're shooting it at like five six, you know, it's really, yeah, it's super amazing. It's totally yep. amazing. Different world, yeah. I'd be interested to see, you know, what the real difference is. I know there's a slight difference in price. One's two hundred thousand. <laughs> you know, I mean that lens is ninety nine grand, right? So, right. So two hundred thousand versus, you know, yeah. Plus, so, look what you could do certainly for B roll and everything else, it's killer. They have a well, three person crew.
0: too. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a lot less weight. So, are you uh, going to sure. carry a, a red, five, sure. six, ten miles in, or you know, carry that Canon lens in?
3: Well, that's what the, this crew is a. It's a two-person film crew, and then they got a guide, or someone that's helping them who's an actual still photographer. And one guy's got the camera, and then the other guy's carrying just the tripod. And that tripod, you know, it's a, probably a big. I didn't look at it, but it's probably a big O'Connor head. And that tripod alone is thirty-five, forty pounds. There's no way you're gonna get one one person to do it all. Where I'm, I'm, I'm the only person besides this film crew that carries a tripod these days, and. I've got my tripod, I got my cameras, and I'm shooting 4K high quality footage that is pretty amazing. But again, I'm it's pretty amazing for my use. I'm really yeah. curious to see if Nat Geo or BBC will take a look, a serious look at this. I think it's I think it's almost too sharp. I don't know if you can say that. I mean, it is just it looks so good. What
1: camera profile are you running?
3: Just the standard.
1: Yeah.
3: So, I don't know. I mean, I could. You, I know I could dumb it down if I wanted to in post, and I could make them look very similar. But, you know, they have all these requirements with, are you shooting 422? Are you shooting 50 megabytes per second? What are you shooting? I so, don't, even,
1: don't even go there, man. I, don't, I know.
3: I know. It's crazy. But I'm just curious to see how it's all going to shake out. I just, uh, I'm just having too much fun with it. I have a Monstro Red 8K camera sitting right here, and I choose to take out the R5.
1: There's a lot to be said with with being encumbered in the field and not being able to move quickly and position yourself accordingly. It's like we get into the tripod debate with a lot of people. Do you use a tripod? Yeah, when I have to, right? But if I can hand hold it, you know, and the shutter speeds are going to be high anyway, well, I can get up, I can get down. I can turn left, I can turn right. If you're strictly 100% on a tripod, it's a lot slower moving, you know, to try and position yourself, you know. Um,
2: It's a lot. There's a lot of images on a tripod nowadays compared to being handheld. And the technology, honestly, for anybody who has any physical coordination and strength, there's no reason not to shoot handheld for a lot of applications. And
1: I think now with the the IBIS and the cameras, you know, in a condition with that, I think you're talking like six stops. I mean, it's insane.
2: and let's hope that's good for video. I mean, that's yep. where my fingers oh, are is. crossed. Whether it it's is. Canon, because we know August, September 2020 are the months of Canon because of the R5 and R6. If we go back eight months, people, we knew it was Sony. Everybody was talking about Sony and still are in some circles for sure. You know, the rumors about Nikon. And, and I just want to take a moment and say that as much as this is definitely warranted to dive into these specs of these amazing new mirrorless cameras that Canon's just come out with, uh, for all those other listeners out there that are on different platforms, it, it's it's coming down the pipeline. Everybody is competitive, and,
0: you and know, Nikon's got
2: all. that 500 PF lens, right, which is incredibly small, compact, handheld capable, and I'm just waiting for them to come out with the Z, or here in Canada, we'd say the Z8, and see what that thing has to in store next year, but... It's been so tempting with these canon r five and r six the technology is there. and And I think the only thing that's held me back, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, I was right at the about to pull the button is just that there's been limited travel and and shooting this year. and then hearing these rumors about these other night what Nikon has brewing, I hope they're true. But my point is there's just no matter what people are shooting, there are options out there, too. But Canon definitely is the ticket for excitement. Yeah,
1: for, for right now. You know, yeah. and it's like Sony just came out with a 12-megapixel camera, you know, and they're pushing the video end. But but it's not that great for doing the stills. You know, so, yeah, we want 12 megapixels, and it's awesome. You know, and you have lower noise, but can't blow it up. So, you know, it's kind of that same thing that we're we're, we're sort of kind of circumventing here, but it's which camera fits what you're doing. So does the, does the R5 and the 1 to 400 supersede a red and a, you know, and a 50 to 1,000? Well, it depends. If you're hiking up to the top of that mountain for that doll shape, I'd pretty much say, yeah. You know,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Maybe that's
1: a little better unless you got a mule train behind you.
2: Those are opportunities, right? If you're more mobile and, and travel, like sometimes when I've been with Caribou, we'll go 10 miles, 12 miles that day with them. And having a, a big kit is not going to work no and and that's i'm hoping for the magic they're still not quite there where there's a 45 megapixel camera for stills that we can have all kinds of play with and post but also can handle a great video and then marries up with a couple of fantastic light lenses it's there i mean i'm with some of the stuff we've been doing interior canoe trips up north this summer just because of limitations again to have something i can shoot video potentially handheld even as mike pointed out before even if it's a 10 second clip to be able to do it handheld in a canoe with loons or moose or whatever it might be. I mean, that's a whole new opportunity.
1: Just Sorry? rent an R5 or an R6, you oh, know? Oh, there's
2: so many people telling me and they're tempting me and I, I just No, no,
1: but, to... but I mean, not, not even for you to say, okay, oh. this is definitively what I want, but right. just to, it, it's exactly what you're just asking, right? It's like, hey, here's a lighter gig, here's the camera that kind of does yes. the crossovers, yes. you know? And well, if we're I... just doing those short clips, it's like everybody complains. Well, I want 420, you know, or 4K at 120, you know, but I want three hours of it. Who shoots slow motion for three? You know, I mean, nobody does it. I do it for like, you know, maybe 20, 25 second clips, you know, or yeah. a half a minute is even too long, right? You know, isn't? slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. Four
3: seconds. I run it at and it's already so long enough. I have yeah. two things about that. So I was out. Mark and I got there's Someone called from National Geographic. I don't know. What was it? Last year. Mark, right? Mm-hmm. And they said they wanted to hire Mark as a guide to do some stuff for uh shedding velvet moose. Well, all this covid thing happened and the whole project went away. But I'm up here, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try to get some velvet shedding stuff. So, I've been working really hard, taking my tripod, getting as much good stuff as I can. Yeah, I haven't got smart. that definitive <laughs> shot, right? So, the other day I come back, I get to the parking lot where I'm just done for the the morning. I'm going to go grab something to eat and come back later put my tripod away, put everything away. And I look off hundred yards away and there's a bull moose doing exactly what I'm looking for. Right. And I get so excited. I run down there without my tripod. So long story short, I'm like, this was the biggest POTSY maneuver I could have pulled without my tripod and I got to shoot video. So I'm like, okay, this is the test. 200 to 400 on the R5. Can I handhold video with the image stabilization on and what's it going to look like? It was pretty, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to say it's like being on a tripod, but is it watchable? You bet. It looks pretty cool, actually. And then you just have the autofocus working because you can't, hand-holding and running the camera, you can't tap on the screen to get the focus. You better no. have that all dialed in. It's, it works flawlessly. And You could the, just tell them
1: you were in a canoe and it was like a little rough in the room. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I was supposed to take
2: that out. But you can get away with, like, look at what YouTube. There are channels that are doing video, wildlife photographers doing video that looks like they're in an earthquake at times. And the Zoom is a like zip, zip, zip out. And, and they're doing well as far as followers and subscribers on YouTube. So if it's something that's commercial like, like you do, <laughs> you do, Michael, then obviously you want it to be as, as good as possible. I'm sure there were clips in that or, or segments thereof that would qualify. But yeah. as far as that was what i took away from it It
3: was like this is gonna work you know i could pull this off now i wasn't standing there with the lens hanging out over my you know just standing there i actually got down on my butt used my knees as a as kind of a support and i held the camera real gingerly and i was panning with it and it worked so there's i still was paying attention to it it wasn't like this but the 200 to 400 the old one or the original one or whatever it is it's heavy so i thought i gotta try it because by the time I go back and get the tripod, even though it's only 100 yards, that moose could be in the next county, right? So I'm like, okay, I got to do this. And it actually worked. The other thing I would, The other point that I wanted to make is with the slow-mo, and you know how Canon was... Or everybody was just killing it with, oh, it's going to heat up or blah, blah, blah. I've been using it now for, I don't know, a month or whatever. I've not had one heat-up issue at all, and I'm shooting a lot of video. But I think for wildlife people we don't have to worry about that. It's not like we're shooting an hour long interview or an hour long worth of footage. We're shooting bits and pieces. Plus, if you're a hybrid photographer like I am, where you're shooting stills and video, I'm constantly switching back and forth and I've not had any problems at all with the whole heating up kind of thing. And I'm shooting a little bit of slow-mo, mostly just 4k HQ and there's no problems at all. And I think they've addressed some of that. One cool
1: thing about the R5 too now is it maintains settings and modes. So if you're in like aperture priority or manual mode, and then you switch to video. All those settings are retained. So as soon as you switch from one to the other, you're back where you started. Right? So that is awesome. And you can assign like um, C1, C2, C3. You know, so you just clip there, bang, you're in, you know.
3: It makes a huge difference. I've, oh, I've noticed difference. that right off the bat. Because you're yeah, saving.
1: Yeah, I really like it.
3: It's just like going without a tripod. Um, you know, you just, that millisecond that you're saving is worth whether you got the shot or not, right?
1: Fleeting moments. That, that's what I tell everybody, fleeting moments. You know, a lot of people sit there and they'll try and do everything. I, I say you can either be proactive or reactive, right? The guys who are consistently successful are proactive. Here's the light. Here's this. Here's that. I'm going to set it all up so when the decisive moment happens, you depress the shutter or you hit that record button and you're golden. Don't wait for the moment to happen and go, oh, nuts. It's two stops <laughs> underexposed or overexposed. Or- Game over, right? It's fleeting moments. It's just, hey, look to the left. Look to the right. Up, down. You know, and that's what we're talking about. And the other thing is, like, what Nikon does not have at the moment is a lighter, you know, bigger 600 for you guys. Right? No, so that's but
2: there's rumor. Difference. I can't say. This is the I way of the field rumor. But there could be a 700 coming. A 700.
1: Could be. I don't know what there is. But, but I'm just saying, Woo-hoo! it's making a huge difference for me. Having that lighter lens right. and now the sure. lighter camera to hump around the field. So, uh,
2: it's huge. a great photographer I know, Michelle Valberg. She's yep. been shooting Nikon mirrorless ever since they came out, and she's using the 500 PF with a two times converter on her Z or Z6 and seven, and loves it for, for both stills and video. So basically, a thousand millimeter.
1: Yeah.
2: So I I mean I'm not I don't want to volley back and forth with Canon Nikon, but I have to say. Take that a little
1: bit. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's like the kind of came out with that, that six and 800, right? Right. You know, the F11 lenses. Yeah. Right. Like, oh my gosh, you know,
2: it's, well, there's a certain market they're appealing to there, right? It's it's the Africa Safari people who want this to fit in their pocket, can pull it out, but they're not necessarily looking to make an income at this. They want that reach and that cheap price tag is going to sell a ton of them for that kind of market. But for professionals... Right. No, I mean, I haven't right. shot That's it. Again, I am with but it.
1: But, but originally when I wanted to get into the longer lens game, you know, and I didn't have all the wherewithal back then when we was starting, you know, so the only option you had was a catadiotic, right? A fixed F8 500 millimeter lens. It was mm-hmm. like the size of like a, I guess like an old Maxwell coffee can, right? But it Very got football. me out there, you know? So I started to play with the bigger lenses and, you know, and then you kind of graduate. So I think those lenses, just like you said, are designed to get those people into the ball game, you know, and, and they're they're sharp. They're crazy sharp for what they are, you know, but and they're not all that, you know, inexpensive. I mean, they're still up there, you know. But well, um,
2: comparatively. But not $13,000. dollars. They're under a thousand like, around thousand dollars,
1: weren't they? $1, yeah, eight hundred or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So And it
0: it all still goes back to really knowing what, what are you shooting for? What's your end goal? Are you trying to win a photo contest? Or are you or are you trying to sell big billboard sized prints? And right. You know, but that
1: photo contest is not gonna come down to that. Whether it's an eight hundred dollar lens or, or thirteen thousand, you know no. that's what people still have to understand, it still comes down to the the nut behind the wheel and the eye, you know, to the but viewfinder. If you,
2: need, if you need to publish a thousand images a year, then then the equipment comes into play, and the versatility thereof.
0: Well, and Mike's talked about, you know, longevity too, that if you have a good camera equipment, it buys you some time before that file size might become outdated too. You know, there's those aspects of it. But again, it goes back to knowing are you planning on selling those photos? Do you need to have do you need to put that kind of money into it if you're not necessarily gonna get any return on it? Definitely. If it's just if yeah. it's a hobby, you know, that's a question. Yeah, exactly.
1: And Michael already alluded to it. So, gee, let's all run out and buy 45 megapixel cameras. Well, now I got to get a bigger laptop. Now I got to get a bigger hard drive. Now I need new flashcards. So it's not just the price of the camera anymore. You know, it's all these little accessories that you end up, uh, you know, expending dollars on as well. So yeah, for most people, you really have to figure out what it is that you're doing, right? And what do you want to do with it? If all you're doing is posting pictures on social media, you don't need 45 megapixels. You know, I'd rather go for a lower megapixel camera that's got much better noise you know, that high ISOs and stuff like that, you know, lighter, more compact, you know, play the game, you know, it's uh, spending money on traveling, you know, like, you know, like Mark was <laughs> saying, for, for me, it's the same thing. People always ask, what's your favorite photographs? I don't know. I don't know, because it's the experience of me being out there. You know, the photographs for me, they, it's instantly transposes me back from sitting in my house back to that spot. You know, it's, I'm right back there. And that's the whole thing that that fires me up with looking at those photographs. You know, and luckily, I'm looking at the caribou right now, you know, behind Mark, and, and I'm there, you know. I'm there. I don't know why he keeps putting his tongue in his ear, but 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 I'm there, you know. And, and that's 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 the awesome part for all of this. And the people who can't get to the locations that we do and can't see the things that we do, we're able to bring them, you know, along with us. And, and that's what fires me up, you know, as much as being there. But the picture i don't know the picture is it's secondary you know
2: it's the experience that enriches our lives and i'm sure that's why with nampa there's so many people involved in nature photography it's the experience of being out there and and just the wilderness and nature the light the changing elements that we all thrive on and the cameras facilitate that
0: the membership shares you know it's it's the love of the outdoors the protection of the outdoors conservation issues and you know, ultimately, that's what we all share. Um, we We tell it in photography, but then once you get in, into that realm, it's you know how do you tell it? Then you get into different you know what kind of camera are you shooting? Are you shooting video? Are you shooting still photos? Are you shooting high megapixel, big huge prints? Are you just posting on social media? That's where it starts delving down. But fundamentally, it's really about being out there in nature, um, just enjoying the the outdoors.
1: So I was an inaugural member of Nampa when they first came out. You know, I don't even know what number I was when I originally signed up. And to see, like, where they were then and where they are now, you know, they're much more involved now. And, and it's great to really see, you know, even things like this, you know, to get people involved in their mini lessons and the image reviews and all that stuff. They've they've really stepped up the game. And, you know, when not to rehash all this, but we started myself and a partner like the first online forum, right, for nature photography. And you see, like, that's the template. And like with the NAMPA Forum is now, you know, it's all kind of moving in that direction. And it's about, you know, extending the education, you know, and seeing the playing field, you know, kind of come up and, and get leveled in, and more people appreciate the outdoors. And it's, it's a great time for us. You know, it really is. I, I just hope that people realize that the animals are still paramount, the environment is still paramount. And as much as we want to be out there, we still have to have a lot of respect for both of those and not trash them. You know, not have a thousand people walk into the woods and leave their garbage and light fires and light off pyrotechnics in the field like those, you know, that couple did. And, you know, great, I got a son and light the friggin' woods on fire, you know, just got to respect it, you know, And, and we can keep it for the next generations, you know, and everybody can enjoy it
2: that's but, really important especially yeah. for the high the high density traffic areas where people yep. go to experience nature but it's something to encourage people as well who are comfortable with is there's nothing like getting into truly remote wilderness with you know whether it's an established guide or a, a collection of people and the right safety precautions and and everything in place but i mean that's i go that direction more often these days whenever possible as opposed to the busy central nature hubs but for a lot of people, there's nothing like building a portfolio like they can do in those places as well. So it's, it's definitely with NAMPA, you know, a highlight issue, I would think, and, and conversation piece. But there's truly nothing like being on your own, whether it's with one or two or three other people on, on a really remote expedition. That's the most magical situation I I can experience now.
0: And NAMPA, certainly, we put a ton of different, you know, you know we have a, a biannual summit that we put together. We have... Uh, weekend workshops and regional events and unfortunately COVID has stopped a lot of that so we've been transitioning a lot of that into more of a digital online type of learning situation for people where we're doing portfolio reviews and podcasts like this where we have conversations and so we're still finding other ways to get the information out there but I know everybody's getting really really eager to get back out in the field do some more traveling again and we'll be right there with a lot of um you know, we've got a lot of things planned for next year for regional events, or summits next year in Tucson so that we can get a lot of people together and, um, you know, talk about different things, get them inspired, get them learning about different things, no matter what kind of photographer they are, what level they are, whether they're, a you know, entry-level amateur enthusiast that's just learning, you know, picking up their first camera to people that are looking to network because they want to sell more of their photos. It's, um but yeah, it's, you know, that, that sense of community is certainly really important, especially right now. I think with everything, you know, we're all so disconnected and we're not getting out around being around people as much as we normally would. Um, but I think nature, getting out in nature certainly kind of soothes the soul as well. Um, so it's a nice way to kind of combine all that.
3: Let's yep. talk a little bit about, um, how this all came about because this is a Nampa podcast. This is I was talking to Don and Don is the new president of Nampa, right? We were talking, what, six months ago or four months ago or whatever. And Don was saying, hey, it'd be really cool to do a podcast, but it's a whole other thing that just more stuff to add to the plate. And it's a lot of work. If you're trying to put out one podcast a week, there's a lot of work there. And we came up with the idea together. It's like, you know what? Maybe we could just say, okay, one podcast a month is going to be a Nampa podcast, a Nampa organized podcast on the Wild and Exposed Network. Or show where we'll just talk about Nampa things I don't know that our audience really is familiar with Nampa and I don't know that Nampa is familiar with Wild and Exposed so it was a good way for us to kind of marry the two and just see what happens but I think in a nutshell it'd be cool for people to know you've already kind of described what Nampa is but if someone wanted to get involved In Nampa, what is what do you do? How how does that happen?
0: So the best thing to do, you know, if you go to nampa.org, that'll give you you just that's our website. gives you all the background of who we are, what we do. Um, Basically, our goal is to provide to create a community of nature photographers, whether you're an enthusiast or professional, and give you the educational resources to give you inspiration, to give you you know we do a lot of advocacy work for um, photographers in general, and that's a lot of the things that happen behind the scenes that you know you may not feel the direct impact but the things that we do like protecting copyrights for nature photographers is a huge thing so that you can protect you know your ownership for those for those photos um, you know a lot of educational programs so we do all of that and that's all brought together you know NAMPA is not terribly expensive to join um you can do it you know one year or two year memberships and that funding comes to kind of supports all of that it supports our mission to provide those different services, you know, conservation, education, advocacy, inspiration, and in addition, we also provide a lot of ways to get together within a community. Get other nature photographers together. You know, whether we're starting things like sip and chats right now, where we're going to have Zoom meetings where let's get together, have a cup of coffee, and talk about things that are important to you. You know, I mean, in today's
1: today's world,
0: where we can't really travel and be around, you know, big groups of people at the moment. Um, you know, that might be a really good alternative. Um, So there's a lot of things that we're doing in that regard, but it's always about keeping um, the industry of nature photography moving forward, um, making sure that we're protecting the things that we are producing, whether that is photography, um, video content, um, you know, rights online, social media rights. We've been doing a lot of things lately with that. And then um, just creating that sense of community for people so that they can keep learning and keep benefiting and keep improving their work.
1: I'm glad you you brought up the copyright stuff and the rights because for a long time when, when people first signed up, that was not the case. And a lot of people jumped ship, you know, because they weren't doing that. They weren't supporting, you know, what they needed to do to, to really help the photographers from that aspect. We had to do ASMP or we had to do, you know, APA or you know, or some of the other people to do that. And, and it's all changed. You know, Napa has really stepped up their game with with being an advocate for photographers. And it's not just nature photographers, per se. It's everybody who's an artist. It's the same rights, you know. And now with social media, we see them stepping on their toes all the time. Every week, there's a picture of mine showing up that's being used that shouldn't be used somewhere, you know. So there's companies like imagerights.com, you know, or if you're a working pro, we'll step up and come to bat for you, you know, and all that stuff. But but yeah, Nampa stepped up their game, you know, and it's really cool to see, you know, what they're doing for everybody, and and it's important, you know, it's a it's a it's a tight community, and just like you know, ASMP was the the big one back for when we were doing all the commercial stuff. Now, now Nampa is becoming, uh, you know, a really strong strong horse with with everybody, and uh, greatly appreciate it. When I first Namp- got into yeah. Nampa,
3: I was uh, there. You would there was a lot of summits, right? Every year there's this big summit, and they would have it in some location, San Diego or Texas or somewhere you know it was always tended to happen in the winter months and so we would go to a warm location and you just got all these photographers with all similar interests and we'd gather and you could meet cool people you could rub shoulders with someone we talk about mentorship all the time on this podcast it was a good place to meet a mentor but what I walked <sighs> away from was with from those summits was there was always like wildlife photographer of the year or was that what it was called I don't remember it was it's
0: photographer of the year photographer
3: of the year. And there would be a great big presentation. And I always walked out of that room so inspired. And it didn't matter who it was. It was just a really cool thing that, you know, just got me going. It's like you wanted to run right out and start taking pictures of your own that could rival some of the stuff that you just saw. So there's so much cool stuff. Chaz, when you, since you were an inaugural member, I'm sure you've been to plenty of these summits. What do you think the biggest thing is for you to come out in Nampa Like, especially in the early days, but, you know, now you mentioned what it is with copyright. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm always traveling when the summits are, you know, so it's hard for me to kind of position around it. It's like, let's have the summit in September right smack in the middle of the elk rut. I'm like, ah, you know, (laughs) so it becomes like, okay, you know, it's a livelihood thing for us. Right. Unfortunately. Right. You know, so so that's a little bit of a dilemma. And I haven't been to as many as I really would like to. But I think like you just said, it's the camaraderie with everybody. You know, it's sharing the experience, it's talking, it's meeting new people, Um, the trade shows where here's the latest gear, people can put it in their hand and physically see what it is before purchase, you know, or they got landscape people or this person or that person, you know, and I've been doing this 37 years, and every time I get around a group of people, I learn something. You know, every time I'm in the field, I learn something. You know, the ones with post-production, I don't care who you are, nobody knows everything about post-production. Every time I hear somebody else speak, I'm like, oh, there's another tip, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just really cool. You know, it's the same thing with operating these crazy cameras. Ooh, here's a little thing in the back door that, that I never heard of that, you know, if you put it into use, it makes a big difference. And and now with the forums and, you know, and all that stuff uh, and the sharing and everything, yeah, it's huge. You know, I think it's really huge. And and they are moving those summits around the country. So if people don't want to go, you know, to, you know, California, well, okay, this one was in, I think last year was in North Carolina, in Charlotte, No, we're close to it, you know, actually before. Yeah, Asheville. It's 20 minutes from my house, but I was gone. I was like tearing my heart out. I'm like, it's 20 minutes away. You know, <laughs> I don't even need a hotel. I could just drive, you know, and I couldn't be here. I had a gig already set up, you know, so I get it, you know, and, you know, sacrifices that we make. But, but yeah, the camaraderie is huge. You know, it's, it's some of
0: the projects yeah. people are doing. I mean, like we have um, one member, Clay Bolt. He's been, he was president. He, I mean, he's just done some amazing things, but he's, he's actually, working on getting the rusty patch bumblebee on the endangered species list. I mean, you know, there's projects that some of these members are doing that it's just so inspirational. We've got another member that does a huge amount of work up in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to protect the land up there. Um, Drew and I are working on, you know, we're working on this big pebble mine project Drew even more so than I am. But, um, you know, and just protecting land up in Alaska. And I mean, there's projects like that all over the place. I know somebody else is doing something down in Florida and these are members. And then they bring that knowledge with them to, to, the, to the other members of, of NAMPA at some of these, these events. And, it, you know, then they share that. And like you said, you know, then other people get inspired and they learn different things and, you know, how they can get involved and work on, you know, even a small project in their own backyard.
1: Right. And then you got a lot more voices than one. You know, so hopefully we can get congressmen or legislators involved and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, the more people that sign, you know, crazy petitions like that and get involved, uh, the better off we are, you know, all around. So. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's important. You know, it's a good thing that, that you guys are doing.
3: So, Don, the um, since we have Mark here and he's an international uh, contributor, how. It's not just U.S., right? It says North American. Obviously, that covers Canada too. But um, you can be in Europe, you can be in Africa, you can be a member in Nampa worldwide, right?
0: We do have members that are outside of North America. So the bulk of our membership is Canada and the U.S. Um, we do have some members that are from Mexico, but we also have a few, a handful that are from outside the U.S. So, so yeah, there's no restrictions on them.
1: We do charge the Canadians more money, though, right?
0: <laughs> well, you have to see what that, that conversion rate is, I guess.
1: <laughs> I think we should build a wall and keep all that cold air up there, though, personally. <laughs>
2: you really
3: think that's
1: going to work? It right? had to be high, really high.
3: <laughs> that's probably what caused all that snow in Colorado this week, right?
2: it's always refreshing to get one snowfall with autumn colors each year oh. i mean for photographic opportunities whether that happens in alaska in alberta in colorado i mean it, that's time to just, just stuff amazing to made. be out there to people see that right?
0: Like, why why do you want to go out with this you know fresh snow it's you know i mean i like the cold i i love the snow and stuff but you know people are always like why do you want that? for that exact reason you get that and I hate to sound cliche, but that clash of seasons, it's just because it is, it's so fleeting. It doesn't happen very, doesn't happen frequently and it doesn't last for very long. So you more have to take advantage of it either. when you get it.
3: So let's do two more housekeeping things just about the NAMPA podcast itself. So one, Don, give us an idea of some future guests. And secondly, we have, we say one podcast a month, but really there's two. We Our plan was to do one that is a full on show like this. But the second one was a little abbreviated version that might talk about some specialty kind of things, which I can't imagine it's going to be abbreviated. We have these pipe dreams of making a 20 minute show. That's never going to happen, but give us a snapshot into what that is going to be.
0: So that is the goal. So, um, Mike, Mark, Ron, and Jason, the four guys from wild and exposed, they do their weekly podcasts and then we'll add in one, at least once a month, hopefully twice a month, um, talking about all things that our, our membership as well as the Wild and Exposed audience would be in, interested in hearing about, whether it's wildlife photography, travel photography, getting out in the outdoors, doing crazy explorations. Um, you know, There's all kinds of topics that we have, have lined up. As of right now, we have Jamie Heimbach. She started a program called Wild Idea Lab and her and Morgan Heim have started a program for women photographers that's going to be a network um, that I think is going to be pretty interesting. So she'll come on and talk about that. Morgan Heim will probably be on at some point as well. We have Clay Bolt, the guy with the bumblebees. He, he will come on and talk about some of his projects. Um, he doesn't do just bumblebees, but his specialty is insects. But he also went over to uh, somewhere in Asia, if I remember correctly, maybe maybe Madagascar, um, and found this, this um, I think it was a bee that they they thought it's the world's largest bee, and they thought it was extinct. And they actually, he actually found it. So he's got some interesting stories about his his work in the field. So we've got a lot of really interesting members um, that are going to come on and talk about things, and hopefully, kind of bring some awareness around what Nampa is doing and some of the projects that they, that our members are doing. So that that'll help them too.
1: Did you hear about the the honeybee study? The venom from the sting cures cures like a, a specific type of breast cancer. It kills the cells in less than 60 seconds it's like remarkable they tried bumblebees no it's a specific you know strand of honeybee that kills some i don't know whatever it was some variation of breast cancer but faster than anything they've ever discovered and you're like what i mean
0: wow wow so, can yeah, you imagine how
3: many things out there in this world are like that yeah. and it just takes figuring it out i mean and to, right, just and to we keep figure wiping out that out native
1: cultures that know way more than we do about that
3: right right it's crazy
1: yeah, it's like, uh, what was that movie, Rain Man, right, with uh, Sean Connery? Not Rain Man, uh, what was that movie? He was in the jungle, I don't remember, anyway. Medicine Man. Medicine Man, yeah, that was awesome, yeah. with the ants, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think that's what it was.
1: Medicine. Yeah, that's what it
2: was. People can find out quickly on Google.
0: Nah, yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> well, we wanted to
3: have Chaz on this first episode because you guys all heard it, right? He's just like a walking... Encyclopedic uh, photographic wildlife photography encyclopedia.
1: Yeah. I love an
2: explorer of light. Yeah, yeah. Traveling all over the globe. His work's it's phenomenal. Cool. Check it out on Instagram. Look for the moose running in the snow. Not one moose, not two, not three, but four more. Amazing image. As no, are no, many give you on, that
1: on your feet. So you can pop that up.
0: Yeah. I'll take a look at it. I yeah. saw you posted the other day, your um the bear cub shot with the fish. That was yeah. that last time that I saw you out in Lake Clark. And uh, yeah, that, that little cub was just amazing. I was really you know, bummed we couldn't get out, out there to see him this year.
1: It's funny what, what people gravitate to. So you'll take a picture and you'll love it and you'll post it and Yeah, you get a few responses. Then you put another one up that you think is good and poof, 6,000 shares. The thing runs amok and you're like, ah, I don't get it, you know? Yeah. But, but a lot of it is it doesn't have to be the best picture. It just has to have that emotional content. It's got to gravitate to the people. You know, you could get a bride walking down the aisle, you know, and if it's slightly fuzzy and and it's her first arm in arm with her boyfriend or, or, you know, her fiance or her husband at that point, bam. You know, it's like the father-daughter dance, all that stuff. You know, and everybody who does weddings knows if it's slightly out of focus, you just print it on canvas. And, you know, but but, but, you know what I'm saying? It's the emotional content. And that's that's what gravitates to people all the time. You know, so that little cub with the, the little face grabbing the fish, just people gravitate to it. You know, it's crazy. I can't, I mean, I look at it every day, boom, boom, boom. So we, we did an AMPA thing. Um, it was Rob Shepard, um, Mike, um, shoot, forgot his last name, uh, Senior Moments Man. Anyway, there was a bunch of us, right? Uh, Jason Lin, Jason Lindsay, I think. And uh, anyway, I can't remember. But, but it was pretty cool. You know, so we all did our little gigs and stuff. And I remember Rob Shepard came up to me afterwards and he said, you know what your problem is? And I go, no, what? He goes, you just have no enthusiasm. (laughs) 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 So it's like I just get fired up when I talk about this stuff. You know, whether it's the new technology or whether it's the experience of being in the field. I mean, how could you help not be fired up about, you know, sitting out there? My wife says to me, so when you're out there, do you ever get like a spiritual feeling? You know, and I'm not a super religious guy, but heck yeah. Heck yeah, man. You're sitting there and you're seeing that, you know, develop in front of you and, You know, that the golden light and the sun just sort of roars flying over your head and stuff. You you have to be dead not to feel it. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. You know, and it's food for the soul. It's food for the soul. You know,
0: I spent 20 years in corporate marketing, you know, cubicle-type jobs, that kind Ah. of thing. And as I started to overlap with this more and I tell Holy people God. what I did on the weekends and and they're like, you just shine when you talk about this stuff. When you yeah. talk about what you saw this weekend or what you photographed or where you went, you just absolutely shine and glow and smile. And yeah, I'm sorry. I just didn't do that about Excel spreadsheets. It just, <laughs> you know, it just didn't communicate yeah. over that way.
1: Yeah. And you're always looking back at the experiences and you know, it's funny because people enter contests, you know, and they're like, oh, I didn't realize that picture wasn't from that spot, you know, and then they get caught. Well, I could look at the hundreds of thousands of pictures I've taken over my career, pull any picture out of my file, and I could tell you exactly where I shot it and bring back the memories instantly.
0: Instantly, yep. every picture. My library Just, has, wow. I have like open, I think it's over 440,000, 450,000 yeah. files. Great. And yeah, same Great, thing, right? I could tell you.
1: Just yep. your you teleported right back to that spot, you know? It's great, it's the best it's so, thing about photography.
2: It's so wonderful to share it with such like-minded people too, right? And that's what this organization, and, and it, it's no different when Michael and I were talking about, um, with Ron at the beginning of Wild and Exposed, you know, we'd sit, after a photo shoot, we often communicate and sit down and talk about this stuff and, and break down the experience and the highlights of it. And, and just to hear that from people, and we share the passions, and that's I think the social opportunities of Nampa, and this and this collective really has a lot to offer—not just in teaching people, but in inspiration, but just potential friendships.
1: Yeah, but you do need to ban Michael from posting for at least a week. <laughs> 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 yeah, unfortunately. I mean, oh, look fortunate. this little picture I got in perfect light with the the velvet coming off the. Mo- <laughs> yeah, oh if- wait. That's not the best one. Look at this one.
3: (laughs) If you get stuck in COVID times and you're stuck in Alaska, that's there's worse places to be stuck.
1: (laughs) Yes, sir. I think you're right. (laughs) Even here. You know, it's like I I can't run around as much as I want, but, you know, I'm only in the Smoky Mountains, you know? (laughs) I mean, we were up at the top yesterday running around up there, or I go 15 minutes away and I'm wild trout fishing, and, you know, yeah, yeah, you can keep that concrete jungle. People ask, "You, you miss New York? I miss my friends from New York, you know. The best thing I ever did was move here. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're coming, you know. But, but yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's food for the soul. You know, we want to teach the kids about, you know, this, not about materialism. You know, and uh, it's great. Nothing 100%. else in the world I'd rather do. And I and I do enjoy, as you guys know. And every time we get together, we pump each other up. You know, it's so much fun. You know talking about all of it and the technology again and
0: we share our knowledge too right you know, about all the time that we spend out there with these animals and you know like we said very early in this discussion it's the um the more you can know about the behaviors the better your photography is going to be and the better I the get- photos will be that you capture because think- you can anticipate what's going to happen when it's going to happen what you're looking for um you know how you can get you know a, a caribou in a position to to look marks here <laughs> so, you know, it's i mean it's those types Sorry. of things that you just you know the more time you spend out there the better you can get at that and and then you can start to really observe and then teach other people about it too so that they can have an understanding of it
1: we we need a lot more teaching people about wildlife because you know i think it's disney syndrome so we get all these people who go to these national parks particularly from other countries that see you know who look bison walking around in yellowstone we think they're cows you know, or elk, and, you know, people get skewered, you know, and people get hurt, you know, and it's just that it's, it's not that, you know, they're they're less intelligent, they're just naive, you know, they're ignorant that these animals are dangerous, and, and we need to educate them, and I, I think the national parks should have all these forms, you know, in different languages, or make you go and watch a video like they do when you go to Brooks Falls, you know, when you see the person get smashed up in the tree by the bison that they used to show, well, you know, if that doesn't do it, then, yeah, maybe the others are true, you know, but but I you got to be careful, man. I mean, stuff happens, and people take stupid, stupid, you know, c- you know, just chances with stuff. I mean walking up to grizzly bears with iPhones, and you know, like what?
2: It's common sense, right? Self-preservation and common sense. people you know we people can walk through the beautiful hardwood forest behind you and slip on the rock crossing the creek and and break their leg. but, it's the common sense approaching these large animals. If if they have claws and, and fangs and outweigh us by hundreds of pounds, then there's some logic to just having, a, you know, either having somebody with you who understands what's happening or very carefully over a period of time, learning about it before yeah. diving in.
1: My so. friend said, first rule, anything on four legs cannot run anything on two legs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and It comes down to respect, too. You know, whether it's an animal or a trail or, you know, a wilderness area, it really comes down to respect for it, too.
1: Yeah. If you if you approach an animal and you disturb its behavior, stop what you're doing. Right. right? I mean, our goal is to record natural behavior. You know, it's like a pet peeve for me. If we're in the woods and somebody starts going, hey, buddy, you know, whistling, or, ah, it drives me off the deep end. You know, just stop doing that. Can we pick up the fawn and move it in flowers? Mm, not really. You know, if you're in the supermarket with your kid, can I pick it up out of the shopping cart and bring it to the cereal aisle? I mean, pretty sure the answer is no. So what makes you think it's OK to do that stuff? But they want to do it all the time. They want to pick everything up or move it into a better situation. Stop it. You know,
3: the it's other pep, the, one of the pet peeves I have is is actually on our shoulders. Photographers is if there's people watching what you're doing, then don't go. Even if like let's say it's in Denali and you got a twenty five yard zone that you can legally be in to photograph this animal well a lot of people looking from a road or something can look at it and say hmm that's really close i can do that and then they zoom down there and obviously it's iphone is not going to work at 25 yards so then they push the limit because they want a picture like we take so what i do is you know no matter how good it is i just won't do it you just can't because you can't give off that impression even though we know what we're doing it just it's just so hard to do it right yeah
1: so yeah, I think that's hundred percent true. You know, you can't you can't do that stuff. We we in Jasper up in uh in Marks neck of the woods and there's there's a big bull elk in his harem and I could see that guy. He was getting frustrated because there's so many people, you know, and he had no way out. And I said to everybody, why don't you guys just separate him? we'll let him just go, you know, walk through and do whatever he wants. And they were they were looking at me like, Who who are you? You know, to tell us what to do. And I said, Look, I'm I'm nobody different than you are but I've been in this situation and I could see the animal anxiety and we should do the right thing and move, you know? So I moved my group out of there. We're way to the side and they're standing there and guess who's coming with his head down now, stomping in the water and chasing people behind cars. And I'm like, you know, two minutes later, if you, you know, or earlier, if you listen to me, you could have avoided the whole crazy situation. But, but there's a lot of people like that. They just think, you know, that, well, you care about is yourself. And you know, why are you telling us to move? And, I'm like, you know, we recognize the situation and the anxiety because we're with the animals all the time, you know? Well,
3: and I, I think mean, that's what's good about Nampa is it's one of these organizations where you can learn about this stuff and then you can lead by example and we can curtail a lot of the stuff that you see happening out there. And you just got to, you just got to read the room, right? Read the room wherever you're at and know what to do. And, you know, I think we're all very cognizant of being at these illegal distances, knowing what we're doing, what's going to push or not push these animals and it's just nampa is a good place to come and learn
2: about all that stuff environmental portraits are trending people like the one behind dawn with the mountain scene there and if she leans a little bit to her right there's a moose (laughs) and you don't have to be close for that and telephotos i mean the 25 yard um, minimum distance is something that we rarely ever get to there's no point with the telephotos we have, especially for large mammals. I mean, 40 yards, 50 yards is a comfortable space to get amazing images that are intimate and still having trees and and aware of the the natural path of what that animal is likely to be and not be on that path, but off to the side at a safe distance.
1: So most of the pictures that sell, right, are not just squeezed animals in the frame because people want to put themselves in there. So I kind of have a rule now, if I make the subject no larger than 25% of the viewfinder, it gives a sense of context and story to the photograph. And people can put themselves in that picture. And those are the ones that tend to sell a lot more, which is not to say that if the situation presents itself, I won't do something else, right? But the ones that seem to sell for, for you know, consistently are the ones where, you know, the subject is not that big in the frame, which means we don't have to get that close.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I, I give that instruction all the time. As a matter of fact, so I do a a weekly column for the newspaper here in town and I just did one about photo tips, fall photo tips for wildlife. And I said, I always say the same thing. You are not going to get that with your cell phone. You're not going to get that frame filling headshot with, so step back, you're in the Rocky mountains here, get the frames, get the, get the peak, get the meadow, get the animal in that meadow. And you'll go home with that feeling of being there again Whereas that close-up of the of just the face isn't going to give you that feeling.
3: Well, I think that trend is, too, is if you get a big animal and big landscape. Well, the only way you're going to do that is with a wide-angle lens, right? So then you've got this whole remote photography thing, which you can do with this new R5. You can run it with your phone. Yeah. So, you know, I've been playing with that a lot.
1: Yeah, of course, you got to have a disposable camera in case the bear eats it, you know? <laughs>
3: yeah i i'm a little leery i'll do it with moose because i'm they just don't want to deal with it but these bears get so i you know what i do is i take a little gopro i'm like okay i'm willing to lose a couple hundred bucks on a gopro if it gets bit or whatever but
1: i was thinking of getting one of those video cages you know and just putting that around the whole camera you know i mean i still want to do it in yellowstone with the bison walking you know but the only place to really do that is in the road and you got to be careful and you know i mean you don't want to get you know Push the, the rules and all that kind of stuff, too, you know, so you can't be near it at all. But they won't really step on anything, you know, because they don't want to hurt their foot per se. But I think they'll walk around, think, you know, in quotes, <laughs> walk around it. You know, kick so, it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I might have to borrow that camera from Canon, you know, rather than use my own. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, so you look at like David Lloyd stuff, right, where it's, it's all low angle and he's got, you know, essentially like a cage around everything that he's doing, but cool stuff. It's not a numbers game. You know, it's about it's trying to a, shoot those pictures. It's and,
2: a fun challenge. We did it oh, with yeah. Caribou last year with action cameras planted on the ground and and just trying yeah. to position them in the right place where they're going and then repeating it. And, and yeah, it's, it's a whole different nice fun stuff. game.
1: But to be yeah. able to see it now in real time, you know, mm-hmm. and now with the mirrorless cameras, guess what, guys, silent, right? So, you know, they're not going to stop in their tracks and, hey, what was that sound and all that? You know, you're just shooting 20 frames a second in silent mode and you get to see it on the back of your phone you know, or a cam ranger or whatever else you want in real time. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you, it's, it's cool times,
2: you know, very cool times, unprecedented times for photography.
3: It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Don, you need to give us a a good wrap up.
0: Well, I, first, I want to say thanks Chaz so much for joining us and making this first episode absolutely phenomenal and full of lots of great info. And thanks to Mark for coming down from Canada and Mike from Anchorage, and I will head back out into the snow in a little bit here. Um, So, I am excited that we've gotten our NAMPA podcast launched. I am very thankful to the Wild and Exposed team for being our partners on this endeavor, and we're looking forward to bringing you guys a ton of new episodes. And then coming coming months um, with lots of great information. So, so keep up. Um, make sure you subscribe to Wild and Exposed and you'll be able to get these downloads as well as their downloads. Um, you can find us on Nampa Picks on Instagram is probably the best place to keep up with us or our Facebook page um, as well as Wild and Exposed. They have their own Instagram page too that's full of lots of great photos. Chaz has his own and is it Shoot the Light or do you actually have it under Charles Glatzer? I think it's Charles Yeah, it's Glatter.
1: under, under I do Charles Glatzer. Yeah, so the, the website is, is shootthelight.com, but the uh, Instagram page and Facebook is Charles Glatzer. Yeah.
0: So you get to see lots of lots of cool pictures that he has. Don't look so. at
1: Mark or Michael's pictures first. Yeah, just.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys, um, thanks. Always Mark. a
2: pleasure. Always a pleasure to see all of you and talk with all of you and hear your stories.
0: Well, very good, guys. Everybody have a great week. Stay safe out there, and we will chat with you next time.